In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. Sorry that it's been a while since I last released a cast, and I especially apologize to those people who called in within a few days of my last podcast, and it would have been a lot more effective to continue a discussion uh, in a more (laughs) timely fashion, but life gets in the way. This is my busiest time of the year. Uh, We have our annual food show, and I'm in charge of coordinating the whole monstrosity and that was just over with on Monday and now we have looming ahead of us a move to the new facility which entails me working uh, the entire weekend probably 15 hour days and that just happens to coincide with my anniversary so yippee but without further ado let's go to the calls I got Rob, it's Froth. I was listening to your latest talking about hand-waving rules, and I think, you know, someone might be able to come up with some kind of algebraic equation about, you know, how much, you know, some some kind of formula on hand-waving where it's how much the GM wants to play by the rules, you know, times how much the players, how the players feel about it divided by how much time the rulings take, you know, over how important the rules that are being hand-waved are to the game, something like that. I'm going to have to take a couple parts to explain what I'm talking about, so hold on. Like, there's one guy, I forget his name, uh, he's written a few AD&D modules, Joe, Joe Huso, I think, Anthony Huso. And uh, I've seen a lot of posts by them where they, they play by every single AD&D 1E rule. Every single one. But they've got a strong desire to do that. Like, it's very deliberate. They want to play by all of them. They've got, you know, the players are totally bought in to wanting to do that. You know, every single little tiny rule, including the psionics and whatever else. And, perhaps crucially, they have a bunch of spreadsheets and things like that to where they can calculate that out of the table with a click of a button as opposed to taking all the time to go through all that. So that's just one example, you know, of how that would equation would work. Aside from that, I think you probably see hand waving in D&D more than other games because so many of the rules really are kind of modular house rules to begin with, you know, they're, most of the rules were added on after the publication of original D&D. So they're not necessarily crucial to how the game plays as opposed to, you know, many other games. The other thing, as far as XP and milestones, I think that's like a little bit of a different case because you have the actual 5e books, the official books, suggesting hand-waving it and using milestones. And I think another big influence on that is organized play. Like Pathfinder Society, for example, 
you go three adventures and then level up. And I think that combined with, you know, 5e basically being D&D to people and the official books saying to use Milestone, uh, XP is kind of dead. Hey, Froth, thanks for calling in with the Triple Jackson there to chime in on hand-waving. Whoa, yeah, um, AD&D, I can't imagine playing that by the book, and I suppose if you did have a bunch of uh, computer functions or something to track all the various craziness, like specific weapon attack modifiers versus specific armor types and (laughs) the absolutely just almost unusable unarmed combat rules and the crazy psionics and segments and oh yeah there's just a lot of a lot of bloat in my mind to the AD&D rules which is kind of why I lean more with the like BX chassis as my preferred game system to kind of build upon and I imagine I'd probably even prefer you know 0E as a foundation than using AD&D as a foundation but your point is very well taken that a lot of this all depends from a rules point of view at least on player buy-in and effort because the dm can want to use things like encumbrance you know as much as as they want and but if the players refuse to track that kind of stuff then it just becomes a case of the dm pestering the players all the time and having some kind of battle of will and that's that's not going to make for a fun game experience i mean part of why i'm talking about these things hand waving and physical reality isn't really even from a, a hard rules as written point of view or rules as modified point of view whatever it's more just actually more of a narrative point of view and trying to get the players to buy into having more of a, I don't know, a a real experience that they're stepping into so that they can picture what's going on around them, picture the, um, the combat or the, the travel or the, exploration of some ruin or something and and uh, planning an expedition and outfitting your your uh, stronghold and things like that I mean it's all I think a lot more interesting when you delve into some of the the nitty-gritty now I think it's ridiculous to get down to a certain point where you're tracking every meal that the players take you know, and asking them what they buy or what they eat or <laughs> tracking bathroom breaks or some something even more ridiculous. But I do think it's valuable to track things like just daily rations and water. I mean, if they're not accounting for it, you lose some of the effect of the environment and the the struggle that the party would go through on a long expedition into the wilderness. 
or if you just totally disregard the duration of a torch or lantern, you're removing part of the story elements of exploring a dungeon environment or a cave system or something. I mean, that's all, I think, really interesting to, to look into. Last, the whole idea of experience points, milestone, or tracking individual experience points. You're right, in the newer game systems, it's becoming less and less of a, um, a factor. And I think it's, to me, the main reason that is, is everyone, all the classes use the same advancement table now. It's not like the older editions where, for instance, a cleric needs 1,500 to get to second level. A fighter needs 2,000, a magic user needs 2,500, and a thief only needs 1,200. So that thief is zipping up uh, much more quickly than the magic user. And that also became one of the game elements and one of the reasons you chose certain classes in some cases, or it just highlighted some more of the differences between the classes, and now that they're all the same, you lose some of that incentive to track individual experience points. Let's go to the next call. Hi, Robbie Spike Pit. You know what, man? I'm not sure how much hand-waving actually goes on. I reckon it's more degrees of abstraction. Obviously, you do get some hand-waving, but I'm really struggling to think of an example where I totally hand-wave something to one side. I think if I get into a game where I think things are overly complicated, maybe there's some really involved weapon chart, I might just abstract that further so that there's maybe light medium and heavy weapons or a similar kind of idea with armor travel i would rarely just sort of say okay you go from a to b and that's that we'll have no travel sequence but i might say simplify it with just a couple of rolls um but i'll be interested to hear what other people have to say i think it's a good hey colin thanks for calling in yeah i I think you're touching on a, a good aspect of this whole conversation and that there is a, a difference between something being abstract and something being hand-waved. And I guess part of the reason I'm talking about this is I feel like in my game groups, more and more things seem to get hand-waved over the years, and I don't know if if that's just symptomatic of us getting older and we're tired of dealing with some of the things that might come across as fiddly in the game or just create inconveniences in the game or the the narrative. But I'm talking about things like, um, for instance, something I hand wave almost all the time is someone shopping. I'd much prefer someone to just, at the end of the session, if they're back in town just emailing me between sessions and saying, I'm going to go talk to the blacksmith and see if he can make me X or if he has it in hand. Or I'm going to go to the trader's establishment and 
buy 50 feet of rope, six torches, and a new water skin. And I'll just say, go ahead and buy it for whatever the list price is. I don't want to, unless the players are um, trying to pump the artisan or the shopkeeper or whatever for rumors or information or something like that, or I don't know, the, the NPC in question is just something that maybe it's important that you want to get some flavor for some of the, the town folk. Sure, go ahead and role play that out a little bit. And and once you have established some of these characters, then you just kind of hand wave any kind of interactions with them. But to, you know, go into every detail about coming back to the inn and, uh, and having a meal and, um, paying for the room and stuff. I, I tend to hand wave some of that, but some of the other things, you know, like, uh, specific encumbrance and movement rates and things, uh, durations of lanterns and yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, a fine line, I think, between abstracting and hand-waving in some of those cases, and I feel like too often things go over the edge and go from abstraction to, to hand-waving, and then then I start getting removed from the game, and it starts, I don't know, it starts becoming more of a board game than a role-playing game, if that makes any sense to me, to you, to anyone, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I, I really like board games and war games and things like that, but uh, if I wanted to play one of those, that's what I'd be playing. Hey Rob, it's Cody. I just got done listening to your hand-waving episode, and um, I have kind of a lot to say, so I'm probably going to pull a Jackson here. Um, let's start with the weapon damage. I think if you're going to use fixed damage die for all weapons, you need to consider how long your combats last. Um, in the Barrel Maze game, there's 60 seconds rounds. So, um, I mean, in that time, a guy with a dagger could bob and weave around a guy swinging a heavy-handed sword and potentially land a killing blow. And conversely, the guy with the heavy sword could easily get the range on a guy with a dagger and, you know, lop his arm off or whatever. Um, and I, I understand. I can see how it can pull you out of the fiction, um, especially if you got guys running around punching people. Um, and I'm going Jackson here. But, um, uh, I mean, as for guys running around punching things when other folks have weapons, I mean, look at martial arts. Look at things like Krav Maga or, you know, Jiu-Jitsu or kickboxing. All of these things can be incredibly deadly. Um, I mean... I'm not a fighter, but I know how to put people on headlock. I know how to properly choke someone out. And if you get the drop on somebody, it, if even if they've got a helmet on, you pull the helmet off and, you know, choke them out, and there's not a lot they can do about it. Um, and, you know, that doesn't take... You could, you could easily put someone unconscious if you choke them out properly in, you know, 10 seconds. So... Um, yeah, I guess it's just the way you look at it, and, you know, I'm not trying to say my way is right and your way is wrong, it's just, that's the cool part about our hobby is, you know, we can play the game two different ways and both have fun and, you know, both be uh, reasonable adults about it, so. Um, 
And I guess one thing that does bother me, if you use a system that does, like, uh, you know, D6 for all damages, what what's the point of having the weapons cost different amounts <laughs> um, if they don't do anything extra, right? Um, like, why am I going to pay 15 gold for a longsword if I could pay 3 gold and get a dagger and, you know, still kill you with it? Um, and I was doing a lot of thinking about that, and I was thinking about instituting a house rule that, you know, you just, when you generate a character you just pick a weapon and that's the weapon that you start with you don't have to pay for it and then maybe um you know colin mentioned um you know long swords are the traditional weapons of um wealthy folk in you know the medieval times so perhaps a sword or edged weapon could give you um like a bonus on morale or reaction checks or something like that but yeah, um, I've already sent like three messages. I could probably go on about this. In fact, if you wanted to um, get together sometime and try and talk about it, I'd be more than willing to. So um, give me a message if you're interested. Thanks, bud. Later. Hey, thanks for the calls, Cody. I appreciate it. And yeah, that's Cody M. from the No Save For You podcast, and he's running a barrel maze game using the Delving Deeper rule set, which is an emulation of original d and I think, without any of the supplements. Uh, and we were having a, I don't know, a pretty involved discussion a while back about the weapon damage that they, they're using, where it's just a d6. Uh, we were having that discussion on the Audio Dungeon Discord. And that's really what prompted my episode... A couple back where I was talking about uh, D6 for all damage. And I understand your point of view with the, uh, you know, the, the round being a minute in uh, original edition D&D and in AD&D. And how you could potentially kill someone just as readily in that length of time with a dagger as you could with a longsword. And yeah, that, that makes sense. Again, I kind of wonder like well wouldn't you have to make multiple attacks then if you're attacking repeatedly with a dagger to get the same effect as with a single blow from a long sword or something but again when you're abstracting it to that extent where you're covering a minute in combat which i mean it is a long long time i mean just think about like a a play in the nfl and how much action is going on in that and I mean, how long is an average play in the NFL? Is it even 10 seconds? Uh, and that's the round length that I that's used in BX and stuff, which I think is a lot more manageable for combat. And again, uh, with unarmed combat, yeah, I'm sure you could choke someone out or do a lot of damage to someone if you're a really skilled wrestler or boxer or martial artist or whatever but that also kind of flies in the face of I mean I think this is all speculative I have no idea but if I were to take someone that was some kind of master swordsman and put them up against someone that was some kind of master martial artist I think that martial artist would just be dead before (laughs) before they even really land any kind of blow um, 
I just, for instance, I, well, I don't know. I might be dead wrong there, but just the fact that no armies in history marched into battle, as far as I know, just relying on their fists and feet, you know, that at least, I mean, even bands of Neanderthals and stuff were probably using sticks and stones and things like that rather than just going at it hand and foot because it's an edge. It's an advantage to use weapons. And I think, I just don't understand what the, what's gained by using the D6 for everything because really when you, when you break it down, in BX there's two weapons that do a D10, the two-handed sword, and the polearm. There's two weapons that do a D8, the sword and the battle axe. And I think there's four weapons that do a D4. A dagger, a club, a torch, and a sling stone, and everything else is D6. So it's not that much to remember. And if you're instead relying on things like additional rules to make it, make it worthwhile to spend the extra money on the longsword versus a club or a dagger, I think that's just kind of adding fiddly things to keep you from, to, to keep the concept of the D6, and I just don't see why the D6 is that valuable a a mechanism to hang on to. And especially when you start outfitting men-at-arms and armies and things like that, why would you bother outfitting them with anything but a club and a bow? Uh, you'd want the range, because you're still using that, from a bow, and then you want just the cheapest melee weapon you can find. And uh, and again, you know, if you're using different values for armor class, and that's commensurate with how much money is invested, you know, plate mail being more protective than leather armor or chain mail or whatever, having a hierarchy of things like that. I just don't get why it's such a big deal. But again, <laughs> again the most important thing that Cody said in all of his messages, which I heartily agree with, is that we can all agree to disagree, and that Everything is, this is just a game, and some of us have preferences. Some of us have uh, ideas that play well at our individual table for the people that we're playing with, and that if you port that over to someone else's table, they might not like it at all. And I think so much of, like this, the Barrow Maze game that Cody's running obviously everyone is having a great time, and that's the most important thing. And, but I suspect that they'd be having just as great a time if they were playing BX, probably if they were playing RuneQuest, or the Black Hack, or anything, because Cody's probably a really good DM, and all the guys playing are good players, and they're all just cool people. And Barrel Maze is an outstanding uh, scenario setting to play in. So it's 
I think those factors are a lot more important than the actual rules being used. But, you know, we can have all these, uh, have these conversations without ending up throwing crap at each other and calling each other names. And so much of our disagreements and national dialogue now is so tribal and, and, uh, I don't know, just schoolyard crap that, uh, it's refreshing to have just regular conversations with people and have disagreements and heck, you might even have a compromise or an understanding the other point of view. And I feel like also that goes to criticism and critiques. I think it's perfectly natural to have negative reactions to things and dislikes for things, maybe even really strong dislikes. And the people that espouse a different viewpoint shouldn't really be offended by that if it doesn't affect their lives or uh, their livelihood or anything like that. I mean, what does it matter to me if someone's having fun playing a game in a certain way that maybe I don't like? And why should it matter to them that I'm playing a game in a way that they maybe wouldn't find fun? If we're both having fun, who cares? It's fun to talk about just because it's a shared interest and a shared hobby, and we might actually get some understanding of a different point of view and might even try their their way, and it might work better than we think, and it might be something we we adopt for our own games. And you know, it's an in, it's an exchange of ideas and an interchange. It's a conversation, but so many people just get their feelings hurt and tie up their self-worth with their opinions and their preferences and stuff. It's, uh, it's disheartening to me that so many people take things so personally. So, oh, <laughs> I'll step down off my soapbox here. And Cody, last of all, yeah, I'd, I would really like to have a conversation with you. I'm sorry that I haven't responded sooner and I'll maybe send you a, a separate message uh, on Anchor to your show. But I've just been so swamped lately at work that I am burned out by the time I get home and that's why it's been so long to do this podcast too. And any free time I do have, I feel like I should be either spending with Mary or spending... Um, working on my own games and stuff rather than doing podcasts but yeah let's let's get together and talk hi rob pete jones here listening to your episode hip to be square i was uh, firmly in the camp of polyhedral dice for damage mm. over d6 but having played delving deeper now three sessions in with uh, cody m i seem to be changing my mind i think we overthink it and we think it's more of an issue than actually is at the table. Combat does seem to move quicker. I can't explain why. And we just seem to forget about the damage now. It just roll to hit, roll to damage and move on. And it seems to, I don't know, it seems to be more of the story now than actually the combat. Anyway, that's my thoughts. There you go. There's Pete Jones. 
from the Dragons Are Real podcast. One of the players, as he said, in Cody's Barrel Maze game playing, delving deeper with a D6 damage and sharing his uh, experience. I appreciate that. It's uh, It's interesting to hear that the D6 is having this effect on your game, and it would be really interesting to be part of it and see if I had the same kind of reaction. I, I do wonder if it truly is the D6 that's doing it, or if it's the players you're playing with and, and the DM and the scenario involved, and it's those aspects that are causing the game to flow faster and uh, for the combat to be a little bit more narrative in focus rather than um, maybe a mechanistic kind of thing. Um, I think it would be really cool if I could find some zero-e actual play. Maybe I'll do a little surfing and try and find one. Um, it would be really cool if uh, Cody ever put up uh, some of these sessions in an audio format or, or video. I, I prefer audio, but video would be cool too. But I also understand that that could be, I don't know, intrusive or it might cause people to be a little more self-conscious and affect the play and that's that's not worth it <laughs> but I again I wonder if if abstracting things like weapon damage is making the game flow faster and making narrative come out more would abstracting other things do the same thing if you abstract magic more so that there are more just generalized magical effects that you narrate rather than having specific spells, would that make the game experience better? If there were no real rules on armor, would that make the game better too? I think the, the rules in games exist in part to separate um, a game like Let's Pretend, which, you know, at, at its root, role-playing games kind of evolve out of to uh, but the rules provide a structure for that situation and I guess the point to me is to have something that uh, brings a firm reality to the game but you don't want a set of rules that are so uh, involved that it gets in the way. And for some people, variable weapon damage might be some kind of mental roadblock or get in the way. And if that is a barrier, sure, kick it to the curb. Go with something more abstract. Um, but I'd love to be a fly on the wall in your session and just see it for myself, and that might help uh, explain things to my, I don't know, <laughs> more closed-minded point of view. Uh, it will be interesting to see, too, as the, as the game continues with delving deeper, if everyone continues to have these, uh, these feelings, or if when you start outfitting a bunch of henchmen, if, I mean, are people going to kind of abuse that rule and just give their henchmen all 
oaken cudgels from out in the woods instead of paying for for weapons and stuff. I know Cody's using some elements too of weapon length and stuff involved, so I mean, from that point of view, would you just outfit them all with spears and not bother outfitting them with more expensive pole arms and stuff like that? I don't know. It's all d and right? Well, I had thought I'd go into more detail on some of the aspects of hand-waving that I was wanting to talk about, and I guess maybe we did a little bit in the interchange discussions, but wow, I've already gone on way too long. Maybe the Ookla Rage uh, drop wasn't quite appropriate here. I need to find uh, or record some more sound bites from Thundar. Demon Dogs probably would have been more appropriate. Uh, but yeah, with almost eight minutes of call-ins and my long drawn-out replies, I'm already to the point where there's probably people that won't listen to it because of the length. So I'll wrap it up here. Thanks again to Froth from the Thought Eater podcast, Colin from Spike Pit, Cody M from No Save for You, and Pete from Dragons Are Real. Go check out their podcast too. Thanks for listening. Don't go down in a heap.